joins me now. Um, I, I saw you speak recently, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you know, when we look at all these nurses and doctors walking away from this vaccine, do you think I'm right? Is that because they just have read the science or are they seeing something they've never seen before with the dire outcomes that we're, we're watching on Facebook and YouTube and, and happening all around the world? Well, thank you, Dell. I think it's a little bit of both. And that was a, a brilliant segment that a lot of us have been looking at, just like you, for over a year, predicting that this might be coming. And I, I think a very important point that, that you bring up, not only are they talking about boosters, but it's the wrong booster. Mm -hmm. They're still trying to boost you for a Wuhan spike and we're on to Delta. By the time they formulate and get a Delta shot out, we'll be on to Mu or, or Zeta or onto the Cyrillac right. alphabet, who knows? So you can't play whack-a-mole with this, especially when we're seeing those binding antibodies that are non-neutralizing. So right. I think my, my fellow colleagues in medicine, my, I'm, I'm former military, I got plenty of shots from Uncle Sam back in the day. I'm not, I'm not anti-vaccine, but I am very pro-informed consent. And, and as a scientist, I, I'm gravely concerned. The, the equivalent right now in my mind is saying to the healthcare workers, okay, flu season's coming. We want everybody to get a flu shot. By the way, we have some leftover flu vaccines in the freezer from four or five years ago. <laughs> No, nobody would take that. That's the equivalent right now of saying, we're going to boost you and give you some more of those binding non-neutralizing antibodies because we've got a bunch of this leftover vaccine with that spike in it and we're really onto this spike. And, and the Delta variant literally has escaped the vaccine. And yeah. we need to be scientifically honest about it and say, okay, we can no longer manage a pandemic with shots. We need to focus on early effective safe treatments yeah. and save lives that way. Because if you have a good antibody, uh, an antibody is forever. Great, you know, say you have a measles antibody. Grandma had uh, measles and now she has an antibody 80 years later, wonderful. But if you have a bad antibody, that's forever as well. And now, again, you could potentially be a ticking time bomb. And right. I think you spelled that out brilliantly. Now, before we get started, you know, uh, you're sort of new to our audience. So what is your background that you're bringing to this, your specialty that you think that, you know, I've seen you give talks about this vaccine uh, w just for an understanding of where your perspective is coming from. What is your background? Certainly. So I'm a board certified pathologist. I'm trained in anatomic pathology, clinical pathology, dermatopathology, and I did PhD research in immunology as well. So part of that clinical pathology background is, vir uh, is uh, virology. I trained at the Mayo Clinic. I was chief fellow there in my surgical pathology years. I run a large uh, independent medical laboratory, uh, one of the largest in the state of Idaho. I serve uh, clients and patients all around the country. And all day long, I'm looking at tissues, examining uh, blood reports, doing microbiology, doing molecular biology. So I'm a pathologist. I do the hardcore science and I do the diagnostics. So take me through what you've been looking at, because I think that you have a view on this that is, is, is clearer than most and really up close and personal with what's happening in, inside the cells of the body, inside the, the, you know, when you've looked in. What are the events that you're seeing and, and you know, we should be thinking about? Well, I think it's, it's primarily important to remember that COVID is a clotting disease, like you pointed out in that segment. 
COVID is a clotting disease. Number one, it's a clotting disease. Number two, it's a clotting disease. Number three, it's a clotting disease. Mm -hmm. And so as we approach treatment, as we look at the patterns um, in some of the tissue biopsies, even from the vaccine reactions, what we see is clots. When um, I, I have more autopsy tissues coming in from around the country after I gave that talk that you saw. So now we're getting an opportunity to see um, some of those changes, both in the post-COVID patient, but also interestingly and very importantly, in the in the post-vaccine injured patients and or the post-vaccine deceased patients. So when one gets these injections, you can look at a blood marker called a D-dimer. You can't see these clots on a scan or an x-ray, but if we do some blood tests, this D-dimer gives an indication that there's microclotting happening all throughout the body. So in, in blood reports and blood patterns in the laboratory, and um, I'm working with uh, a project right now on uh, pre-vaccinated and then following these patients, I've seen in several patients how long this microclot marker in the blood, this D-dimer, stays elevated. There's one clinician who reported 62% of his patients after the vaccine had elevated D-dimers. So it's it's highly concerning that we are we're using a shot. Obviously, it's experimental, um, and these genetic vaccines, as much as science may have thought, hey, we can stop this. We have a good idea. In retrospect, we're starting to see, and we've seen for quite a while now, the patterns that these aren't as safe as they were projected to be. So that's my job. Look at look at the pathophysiology, look at the exact patterns, look at the blood patterns, look at the markers, look at the concerning things that aren't being talked about. When you, when you mix medicine and politics, you get politics. So when we have politicians telling us what we should be doing or what the science is, I get very frustrated because the scientists are the ones quietly seeing what's happening. Mm -hmm. And then we get censored or canceled when we speak the truth of the patterns that are undeniable. What are those patterns? Before I before we get in, let's talk about the vaccine for a second, because a lot of the conversation we've had on the high wire is about this spike protein, right? We didn't, we could, there's 29, my understanding, 29 proteins on this virus. You could have gone for other things that, you know, if we weaken the virus in some place, poke a hole in it, maybe we kill the whole virus. But they didn't just grab any protein. They just didn't grab some side protein. They kind of grabbed a doozy. You want to take me through that and, and why perhaps this maybe shouldn't even be called a vaccine? Yeah, so so the spike itself in animal models, if you take the spike with the rest of the body of the virus gone, just the spike alone and inject it into animal models, we know that that spike alone can induce vascular disease, pulmonary disease, brain disease, disease throughout the body. So the spike ends up being the inflammatory aspect of the virus. And now we selected a vaccine or a, a gene sequence that that literally codes for the spike. So is the spike a toxin is the question. Right. We know that once that spike is given in the arm, it doesn't stay there. Studies show that the spike does circulate and the S1 fragment of this spike can cross the blood brain barrier. The S1 mm -hmm. fragment can cause the inflammatory patterns. It induces the inflammation. So we literally did pick the wrong part of the virus. You know, to your point earlier on antibody dependent enhancement, in some of the studies, I think it was an article in Nature, they said we should really focus on the receptor binding domain, just the little part where, where the virus binds and not the whole spike. And then we could avoid some of these enhancement reactions. Instead, they said, yeah, we should do that. Oh, let's just do the whole spike. 
and I, wow. I, I kind of scratched my head and I thought, well, you knew, because if those antibodies had escaped just the receptor binding domain, then you just have a few antibodies and it would have become a non-entity. But there you're showing that spike protein. Yeah. That spike literally is what induces disease. And so without that ball of the virus there, as that spike is binding, it is inducing that inflammatory pattern. And we can see some of the same cytokine patterns in the blood. We can see some of the same inflammatory patterns, the D-dimers, the elevated C-reactive proteins. Um, just just from the spike produced by the genetic sequence uh, shots. So in essence, the disease is the spike, and we are injecting a vaccine full of uh, message to tell our body to fill us with this disease, this spike protein, this toxic element that causes the problem. So when people think of a vaccine, they think I'm getting some dead version of the virus or some attenuated version that can't hurt me so that I can protect myself against the dangerous infection that I could possibly get. But really, it seems that we're injecting people with more spike protein than the dangerous part of the virus than they would get in a natural infection, right? You're actually giving yourself an overload of the worst part of this virus. Yeah, and, and that, this is a good point because we're giving the sequence that makes that, that toxic part. But even in the SARS-CoV-1 and the MERS studies, they used an inert spike. It wasn't a genetic sequence, but still because of the nature of this family of viruses and how they slowly genetically drift when you get that exposure to a variant of the virus, it's still just that protein that induces the enhanced reaction. So even mm. if it were just a traditional, just protein vaccine, the concern is the shape changes and then it escapes our immunity. So not even just the potential dangers that we're seeing and the, the side effects that we're seeing from the present shots, the genetic sequence ones, but even historically. So even if we were using a more traditional vaccine, we're taking the wrong approach to a wrong uh, viral family, that we've known the history of this viral family, and we could have predicted, and now to your point, we are seeing these same inflammatory patterns because of that shape change in that spike, the new variant. As Delta fades, it's going to burst and taper. It is a wildfire. We're going to see it go away here in six to eight weeks, and then hopefully we'll get a lot more natural immunity. That's good. Yeah. Hopefully we can save those who are going to be infected badly. Risk. Yeah. At high risk, you know, you look at the Oxford study in Vietnam that showed a 250-fold increase of virus in the vaccinated over yeah. those who were unvaccinated. And I mean, that's highly concerning. So really, we need to be honest to the population and say, great, you got your backs, you feel comfortable. We need to be honest and say, you're still at risk. You're still a candidate for early treatment so we can save you. Same thing to those who are refusing the vaccine. We need to focus on, look, there are early treatments, you know, be it monoclonal antibody treatments, be it, you know, a lot of the drugs that shall not be named, shall we say, right. but there are plenty of them and it's a multi-drug approach and yeah. very efficacious. But I think we do need to really step back and say, look, we know what's causing the damage. Let's use some logic and say, game over. This is not the approach we need to be taking. We're damaging individuals when we thought we were doing something good. And so, you know, maybe some people had fewer symptoms. It's hard to say because we went through variants that were different. Yeah. So doing a statistical analysis of that is very difficult to, to be honest about. Yeah. So, 
All right, so let's do this because, you know, our audience has gotten used to, you know, we geek out a little bit here on the science. And so I want you to take me and you've sent some slides over. Take us inside the microscope and what you're looking at and so that people can really see what is this, what is this spike protein doing uh, when we look at it through a microscope. What are the things that you're seeing, the types of illnesses that we're really concerned about? Okie dokie. So, um, number one, the, the, the vascular disease. Okay. Number two, the vascular disease. Number three, the vascular disease. <laughs> so, there, there, there's a, a slide. receptor. Let's throw this slide so you can talk yeah, us through. Throw, what are we looking okay. at here? So, this, this one's borrowed from a Salk Institute study. So, okay. on the left, you see a glowing blood vessel. Yeah. And so that little circle in the middle is the little channel inside the vessel, and then the cell body is all kind of that uh, frayed purple to the right. Yeah. So on, on the left-hand side there, you see just very crisp, clean lines. Those represent your mitochondria. And then on the right side, again, this is a study with only the spike protein, not the virus, you see those mitochondria fragmented and falling apart. So because the spike is inducing cytokines and inflammatory reaction, that cell and the powerhouse of your cell, those mitochondria, are getting fragmented, attacked, and denaturing. So that, wow. that fatigue, that um, malaise that people get, yeah. you know, that's one of the side effects of the disease as well as from the shot. So that's a, one example of on that cellular level where the spike is doing damage. And if you wipe out your mitochondria, you're in trouble. I mean, that's the energy of your cells, right? That's what it is. keeps you alive. Okay. All right, next. Well, let's look at this next slide. Next one. So on the left-hand side, you see these nice, wide-open white spaces. Those are your air sacs in your lungs, your alveoli, and you can see you've got plenty of room to move air in and out of those nice, wide-open spaces. On the right-hand side, after, again, the, the vaccine and the spike protein, all that purple you see there, that's all inflammation. And you can see how much less space you have to ventilate there. All those white spaces are obscured by all those inflammatory cells infiltrating into that lung tissue. And then after that inflammation starts to fade, scarring gets set down. So when you see wow. this ground glass appearance on the x-rays that you hear about in the news, that ground glass is really representing microclots and early scarring in, in those portions of the lungs. So let me ask you a question. You know, are we looking at you know, tissue that's coming from autopsies or is this uh, from mice or what, what is it we're looking at right now? A little bit of both. I mean, I have several autopsies here now post-vaccine and we're doing sequence analysis, we're doing protein analysis. You know, we'll publish these once I have enough of them, um, like Dr. Shermer did in uh, Germany, where he published his uh, 40 uh, patient autopsy, to the which he said 30 to 40% of them were vaccine deaths. And of course, the media attacks him when he says that. And you know, we as the pathologists, we as the scientists, we have the markers to look for the spike protein alone, the whole virus, antibodies so we can tease out what's being deposited and we can tease out what kind of inflammatory cells so again the media can criticize all they want but when we are the ones looking at the actual mechanisms that's why we report it we say look nobody wants any any death to be from a vaccine and and they always say oh these are not the droids you're looking for nobody right. get hurt gets hurt or dies from the vaccine that's not true that's the, the it's absolutely not true. So we need to be scientifically cautious and we need to be scientifically honest. We need more autopsies. I mean, the, the scant number of autopsies that have been done 
13,000 plus deaths in the U.S. and VARES, 21,000 yeah. plus in the EU. And here we have just a smattering and only one or there you go. Yeah, 13,000 deaths in the U.S. Right. And as of June, we had one post-vaccine reported autopsy in the entire literature. No way. Which is mind-boggling. Yeah. In the U.S., uh-huh, it's mind-boggling that it, we're not doing science. We're spending a lot of money on advertising, get a shot, get a shot. We How do you explain that? I mean, come on, explain that for me, because we're under the impression that CDC, NIH has got billions of dollars, right? They're, they're, they're a bunch of guys that love their jobs, love to investigate disease, love to investigate what's going on. You have this giant pile. It's the highest rate of deaths ever reported from a vaccine. It now looks like it's going to overcome Every vaccine report of death, uh, all of them put together over the last 20 years, in six months, this vaccine has decimated those numbers. And yet you're telling me when they're talking about an experimental product that the emergency use, you know, they authorize it to give to totally innocent people. When those innocent people start piling up in morgues, they are not doing any autopsies. Can you explain that to me, what the logic or the thinking or what you believe would be the reasoning for the agencies that are supposed to care about our health not doing the obvious science that should be being done? I wish I knew. It's really frustrating from a science point of view. Literally billions of dollars available, our, our children's grandchildren's tax dollars, and we're not investigating this. We should be treating it like the French uh, law system. We have a new product on the market. It should be guilty till proven innocent. And, and we're not taking that approach. Every single adverse reaction, every single death post-vaccine should be autopsied. That, that would be real science. And, and why we're not doing that, I had a colleague, you know, Dr. McCullough down in Texas, yeah. he had yeah. a patient pass just yesterday and he requested the autopsy, the coroner refused. And I scratched my head as to why aren't we doing this? Because that's how we learn that's how we learn what's happening in, in the body, what those secondary reactions, like in those mice studies and whatnot. Yeah. If you cannot find what you're not looking for, and maybe they don't want us to find it. I, I, I don't know. It, it's not science in this day and age to not be doing those basic principled research examinations because that's how we learn. And if we don't do that, then we're doomed to continue down the same pathway and cause potentially more damage. And we take an oath in medicine to do no harm. So if these are harmful, we need to prove it. If they're not, great, let's prove that either way. I, you know, Let's be neutral, but at least be the observer and come to a conclusion that's based on real data and real examination. I love what you said, and I absolutely agree. I've been calling it the scientific method. I said I got interviewed by a, a, a television station out of the UK, and they said, you know, our problem with you is that you seem to do your show based on the assumption that the vaccine is dangerous instead of the assumption that it's safe. And I said... Uh, yeah, there's a term for that. It's called the scientific method. My job and a scientist's job, even beyond that, but as a journalist, same thing, is to challenge and, and, and put up real questions, real posit real problems and theories, especially based on animal trials where the animals were dying. We, it's not, we're not pulling it out of thin air. You should be able to address how you've overcome these problems. That's our job is to challenge it, not to just go woohoo and have pom-poms and have the FDA telling us before we even look at this product, we're planning on rushing it out to the public and giving it uh, authorization and you know, ultimately approval. Um, so one of the things, and, and what's sort of crazy is, is in some of these cases, they may not be doing autopsies, but they're kind of admitting it's happening. One of the things that's so problematic is the youth, right? This idea of myocarditis, uh, the swelling of the heart. Can you sort of take me into that and what you're seeing there? 
Yeah, and this is this is unfortunate. Uh, children's immune systems are different than adult immune systems, and and in some of these shots, they're giving the same dose to children as they're giving to adults, and in young males at a higher rate than young females, we're seeing inflammation of the heart. In some of the mammal models, they showed that within some of the white blood cells that are infiltrating the heart, they're finding spike and sequence. And that wow. induces an inflammatory reaction in the heart and the sac around the heart. So if you statistically look at the number of children that passed from COVID last year, most of which you know, had comorbidities. So here on your right side with the red arrows, that's the sac that lines the heart. That's inflammation surrounding that heart. And that's going to cause swelling and pressure on the heart. And we know that there have been you know, over 10, 12, 15 kids that have died of a heart attack already post these shots. On the left-hand side, those blue arrows, that's the, the muscle, the wall of the heart, and all that white that you see on that left-hand side where the blue arrows are, that's inflammation swelling the heart. And you hear about inflammation and the heart enlarging. And so, I mean, over 400 children, and again, these are highly underreported. Yeah. Um, once the heart is damaged, the scarring happens after the inflammation. Heart doesn't heal with new heart cells, it heals with scar. So when you're giving something that damages the heart, um, you are literally, yeah, there on your left-hand side, all that, those blue dots, that's inflammation, all the pink, wow. those are the fibers of the heart. And then down below, you can see kind of all that blue-gray, that scar uh, healing, that's that scar uh, starting to form. And that scar is left, it messes up conduction pathways, can cause chronic heart failure over time, there's no such thing as mild myocarditis. When the heart is inflamed, that is a serious condition for a long time. And so we've had more children damaged now by the shot than who passed from COVID. So now our ratio of damage to what we think we're preventing is disproportionate. And that's very concerning. Yeah. Incredible. So summing it all up, you're looking at this. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for being brave enough to speak about these things. We all know the doctors that are, you're under amazing pressure um, as, you know, they're, you know, for people that are speaking. Um, you know, as a pathologist, someone that's sitting here, obviously you're taking great risk, which is crazy. That is even a risk to talk about what you're actually seeing in patients, in autopsies, in tissue, in animal studies. But when we think about this vaccine now, 40% of this nation is now going to be under extreme pressure by employers, by airlines, you know, to get this vaccine. Uh, from a scientific point of view, what do you want those people to know as they try to figure out how to grapple with that decision? That And it's a tough decision, and it should never come to this, especially now that we have a shot that isn't effective against the – we have a new virus. And all that data about efficacy that they keep claiming, it doesn't apply. Even that, that approval that came through the other day, it wouldn't have even met threshold for EUA approval. I want these people to stand for bodily integrity. We need to push back like they're doing in France. We need to push back like they're doing in other nations. This is about health freedom. This is about physical integrity. Nobody should be mandated to take something for the which the side effect is death. That is just not moral. It is not ethical. It is not scientific. It is not right. And your body, your choice, if you're fully informed and you feel like you need it, you know, I. I don't judge anyone one way or the yeah. other, but fully informed consent is what you need. We're not getting that to the degree that we need. 
people need to be allowed to have their bodily integrity and these mandates need to go away. It's not even the right shot for the right virus anymore, even if it did work. And so we need to pivot and shift and focus on early treatments, focus on better therapies, focus on earlier interventions, um, focus on safer shots that maybe target different proteins. But at this point, we need to be scientifically honest and we need to allow every individual to have that choice for his or herself. I appreciate those are wise words, but thank you for taking us into the details because it's, it's super interesting to look at what's actually happening in the cells. The idea of scarring on all these children, we've heard the CDC say exactly that. Well, there were mild cases of myocarditis, and as you've said and, and other doctors have said, uh, there's no such thing. You are creating scars that will never go away. We have no idea what the long-term implications are of this. Uh, most of these kids going to hospitals, a lot of them athletes that can't compete in sports now. They're on heart medications uh, for a group, by the way, of individuals that aren't really even at risk for this illness. Uh, incredibly high success rate of, you know, and, and really super low even symptomatic conditions. Um, I, I'm, I hope that we can have you on again. Um, there's so much to talk about, especially since you're, you're deep in the middle of it. Uh, but I want to thank you for being brave. I want to thank you for standing up for science because that's what I really think is, is under attack here. Real science is under attack. We've lost, as you said, the principle of science should be more like the, the French legal system. It is guilty and too proven innocent, especially when it's being tested. There should have been the number one conversation at FDA, not the safety trials done by Pfizer that's trying to put a bow on their products that's going to make them tens of billions of dollars. But... Thank you for your work. Thank you for taking us so clearly through that, and I hope that we'll get a chance to talk to you again soon. Thank you, Dale. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Well, you know, as we find ourselves watching more and more of these world-renowned scientists